chapter two section seven and eight of the marvels of divine grace by alice lady lovett this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two on the sublime union with god to which we are introduced through divine grace section seven beauty is the principal object of pure love if then god embraces our soul with such ineffable love we may conclude from this that our soul must have received a great and heavenly beauty from grace for divine love not only estimates things at their true value but it is also powerful enough to make the object worthy of being so loved human love presupposes love in its object divine love on the other hand works in the soul and produces it for as human nature possesses nothing but what it receives from god he can love the soul only inasmuch as he makes it partake of his infinite goodness and beauty this is true of all love of god and of the beauty and goodness of created things but it applies specially to the supernatural beauty of spiritual creatures since therefore the love of god works in us by grace and rests upon us on account of it it must be grace that contains this beauty and confers it upon us grace impresses upon the soul as on a mirror a perfect image of the divine nature so that he who would represent to himself the beauty of a soul in a state of grace ought first to have beheld god himself in his divine perfections to a soul in a state of grace says st ambrose god speaks as he did once to his chosen city behold jerusalem i have painted thy walls in a splendour of light blosius the great mystic of the sixteenth century says that it is certain that if we could behold the beauty of a soul adorned with divine grace we should be enraptured with delight and wonder god having revealed this sight to st catherine of siena she covered with kisses the footsteps of those who were engaged in bringing sinners back to repentance and transported by joy she said to her confessor had you my father beheld the beauty of a soul adorned with grace you would certainly for the sake of one such soul gladly suffer death a thousand times the ineffable love which god bears to a soul in the state of grace and the supernatural beauty with which he invests it lead to that blessed union of which st paul speaks in his epistle to the ephesians matrimony he explains is a great sacrament that is a mystery of sublime significance because it typifies the union of christ with his church and therefore also of god with the soul but the union between husband and wife however sacred and intimate is but a shadow of the infinitely closer union of which it is a symbol for as the apostle says he who adheres to his wife is made one body but he who adheres to the lord is one spirit one corinthians chapter six verse sixteen and as the spirit much more the spirit of god 
is exalted above the flesh so is the union of god exalted above that of man and wife this union of the soul with god is so true and intimate that its equal cannot be found in all created nature and no created reason can comprehend it god immerses the soul in an ocean of his divine light inundates it with a stream of divine happiness fills it with the whole plenitude of his being and embraces it so closely that no power in heaven or earth can separate it from him to have god for our father our brother and our friend would be sufficient to prove the love he entertains for the soul in a state of grace but as he would set no bounds to his love of the children of men he also calls himself their spouse this union removes all barriers that might separate the soul from god as his child she was restrained by filial reverence as his friend she could not yet claim him but as spouse she approaches him without embarrassment possesses him of right and may exclaim like the spouse in the canticle of canticles my beloved to me and i to him who feedeth among the lilies i to my beloved and his turning is towards me how great should be the desire of the devout soul to please him who has manifested such astounding love for her should she not endeavour to love and serve him alone and exhibit herself according to his desire without spot or wrinkle or any such thing holy and without blemish ephesians chapter five verse twenty seven st thomas says the three gifts of matrimony which constitute its honour and happiness are one fidelity two sanctification three fecundity fidelity indicates the indivisible unity of marriage by which husband and wife belong exclusively to each other the sanctification or sacrament indicates the indissolubility of the tie which made by god can never be put asunder children finally are the special blessing conferred by god on the marriage state what fidelity could equal that of our good god husbands love your wives the apostle says as christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it ephesians chapter five verse twenty five god gives himself to his spouse whole and undivided and if he has elected countless spouses besides each one of us none the less does he belong entirely to us nor is his love lessened on that account he is as the sun which sheds its rays on a thousand eyes and yet is enjoyed in its entirety by each single one rejoice rather at the greatness and power of your beloved and in the happiness of these countless souls which share his love with you and yet take nothing from it the bond of union between god and the faithful soul is as inviolable as the word of god and has he not said i have loved thee with an everlasting love and again i will betroth thee in faith 
fecundity the third blessing attached to holy matrimony likewise attends this blessed union of god with the soul and it may even be said to attain therein to its highest perfection as the dew falling from heaven fructifies the plant so does grace fructify the soul and as the sun by its light enters the eye and is reflected on it so does the son of god produce in the soul the image of his divine being and is as it were born again in the soul a heathen philosopher wisely remarks that the offspring of virtue is or should be preferred to the posterity of the body where have such marvels of holy fecundity been seen as we read of in the lives of the saints and servants of god and should not all souls closely united to their divine spouse produce by his merciful assistance abundant fruit of holy desires and good works to manifest their gratitude and their love and thus to become ever more united to him section eight we have hitherto sought to explain the mystery of the union of the soul with god by divine grace by comparing it to human relationships but there is one point in which it transcends all these and that is that the effect of grace is to cause us in a very deep and true sense to grow into one being one body and one spirit with him god in his infinite unity and perfection can unite himself to angels and men in the same way as the soul is united to the body which is vivified by it the creature without ceasing from being distinct from god is made one with him in the same manner as in man soul and body the head and members are one it is of this sublime unity that christ spoke after the last supper when he prayed to his heavenly father the glory which thou hast given me i have given to them that they may be one as we also are one i in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one john chapter seventeen verse twenty two and again he said not for them only do i pray but for those also who through their word shall believe in me that they all may be one as thou father in me and i in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me john chapter seventeen verse twenty st cyril of alexandria teaches that after the image of the unity which exists in the blessed trinity we are to enjoy a twofold true and real unity with god of which the one represents and brings with it the other namely the unity of the spirit with the son of god in his divine nature and the unity of body with him in his human nature in his human nature the son of god unites us in truth and not only in love or by the imagination but in reality in one mystical body of which he is the head and in the same manner he will make our soul one spirit with his divinity 
st chrysostom has the following beautiful thoughts on our union with the sacred humanity of christ we being many are one bread one body says the apostle john chapter seventeen verse twenty one why do i speak of a participation of union we are ourselves the body of christ for what is the bread upon the altar the body of christ and what do they become that receive it the body of christ not many bodies but one body as the bread is a whole composed of many grains and the separate grains nowhere appear and in their union do not show the distinction though they continue to exist so we are united amongst ourselves and with christ for you are not nourished by one body and another one by another body but all by the same body and therefore the apostle says we all are partakers of the same bread but of this we all are made one body one corinthians chapter ten verse seventeen again our saviour has said he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me and i in him john chapter six verse fifty seven and saint cyril commenting on these words says it is of importance to notice that christ will be in us as he himself says not merely by a certain relation of love but by a real union for as two pieces of wax placed and molten together are made one whole so are we united to christ by the reception of his body and blood the natural bread is also united with the body of him that partakes of it but since it is a dead and perishable bread it cannot convert the bodies of the partakers into its own substance the body of christ however is a living undivided imperishable bread and therefore it unites with itself the bodies of those that receive it makes them its members and fills them with the plenitude of divine life our lord says i am the vine and you are the branches john chapter fifteen verse five thus the vine feeds with its sap the branches united with it and penetrates and vivifies them with its own vitality now the union of our body with the body of christ is only the means and figure of that union which grace establishes between our soul and the divinity we are made one spirit with god as truly and really as the body of which christ is the head must be vivified by the same spirit in whom the son of god lives accordingly st paul says support one another in charity careful to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace one body and one spirit as you are called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith and one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in us all ephesians chapter four verses three through six we are then truly made one spirit with god 
not as if the substance of our soul ceased to exist but because it is so intimately united with god as if in a certain sense it formed one whole in the human body too the members are substantially distinct from the head and the soul from the body yet they are really one because they form a whole and cannot exist apart so are we made one with god because as christ has said we abide in him and he in us this doctrine throws still more light upon what has been said previously about the deification of the soul there it was said that our soul was deified by a supernatural likeness to god the mystical union with god which is inseparable from it completes this likeness we distinguish in the sacred humanity of christ a twofold deification the one consists in its personal union with the eternal word the other in its glorification by the communication of divine grace true we are not united to one person with god as in the humanity of christ nevertheless our union is so intimate that supernaturally we exist in god and for god so that this union can find its model only in the union that exists between the divinity and humanity in christ thus that great mystery is prepared and begun in us which according to the words of the apostle will form the highest perfection of created nature that god will be all in all god will be in us not only because he has created us not only because our whole nature and being is dependent on him not only because we are his as the work of his hands and reveal his glory but because he has drawn us entirely unto himself and poured himself out in us because he absorbs us and unites us to himself as a drop of water is absorbed in a flagon of wine and because he bears us in his bosom as he does his only begotten son with whom he is perfectly one let us not fear to lose ourselves in this ineffable union with god we are lost in an unfathomable abyss but an abyss not of annihilation but of the greatest glory and happiness we lose ourselves to find ourselves again in god or rather to find god himself with all his glory and beatitude for the more we are god's the more he is ours the more we live in him and for him the more he lives in us and for us hence by the very fact that we are deified in a twofold manner we also partake in a twofold manner of the divine beatitude first by beholding the beauty and bliss of god as he himself beholds and enjoys it and again by possessing this glory and bliss by grace and calling it our own as god possesses it and calls it his own in virtue of his nature can human reason comprehend or the human heart bear the transport with which it learns that its members are members of christ 
and that its spirit is so closely united with the divine spirit where may we find a thousand tongues and hearts to praise and love so merciful a father oh that our heart could die to itself and become absorbed in the divine heart of our loving saviour so that a heavenly life having begun in it it should no longer feel its own impulses but those of god then would happen to us in a mystical manner what has happened to some of the saints of god whose heart he took from their breast and put his own in its place another sublime advantage which we derive from this union with god by grace is that we are made one body and one spirit not only with the blessed trinity but with the souls of the just the same holy spirit which according to saint augustine is the bond of union between the father and the son likewise embraces us all and unites us as intimately with each other as the soul unites the different members of the body as a golden chain he links us to god and christ and likewise with the choirs of blessed spirits with the band of apostles and countless numbers of holy martyrs confessors and servants of god by this unity the joy we shall experience in the beatific vision in heaven will be multiplied and infinitely increased as saint anselm proclaims in moving words human heart poor heart that suffers so many tribulations i is inundated with suffering how would you rejoice if you possessed all things that are prepared for you in heaven ask your inmost self whether it could comprehend such happiness yet certainly if another whom you love as yourself possessed the same happiness as you your joy would be doubled as you would rejoice no less at his happiness than at your own but if two or three or many more enjoyed the same good fortune you would rejoice for each individually as for yourself if you loved each of them as yourself in that perfect love then of numberless angels and saints where one loves another no less than himself every one will rejoice for all others individually as much as for himself if the heart of man cannot comprehend the joy of so great a good how will it be wide enough for so many and such great joys and indeed since each rejoices as much at the fortune of another as he loves him they all loving god in that perfect happiness incomparably more than themselves and all others will also rejoice more at the happiness of god than at their own and that of all the others my lord and my god my hope and the joy of my heart tell my soul whether this is the joy of which thou didst say through thy son ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full for i have found a joy that is full and more than full end of chapter two section eight